Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with the 2020 lead. President-elect Joe Biden this afternoon spoke with health care workers in a virtual roundtable as the Biden-Harris transition team prepares to lead the nation in the midst of a worsening coronavirus pandemic. Biden warned that his administration will be behind when it comes to handling the pandemic if they do not get access soon to key information that the outgoing Trump administration is withholding. And not only has President Trump's refusal to accept reality meant that the transition process has not commenced, a Trump administration official tells CNN today that some staffers at the Department of Health and Human Services were actually instructed to ignore and report anyone from the Biden-Harris transition team if they try to contact the federal agency. It's an outrageous act of obstruction that places the president's feelings ahead of the lives of the American people. To be clear, President-elect Biden will be sworn in on January 20th, and he will be in charge of trying to lead the nation out of this deadly pandemic. And outgoing President Trump is focusing, instead of the pandemic, on trying to overturn the results of the presidential election. He is trying to undo the clear and convincing victory by President-elect Biden. Trump is doing this not with so much evidence as he is with tweets of wild and unhinged lies that he won the election. He's been pushing discredited conspiracy theories and false claims and purging anyone he deems disloyal to him, even if that is only because the individual is loyal instead to the truth and to the American public. Last night, President Trump fired via tweet the head of the election cybersecurity division at the Department of Homeland Security, Chris Krebs, all because Krebs dared to contradict the president by telling the truth. His agency had declared this election, quote, the most secure in American history, and Krebs tweeted before his firing, quote, on allegations that election systems were manipulated, 59 election security experts all agree, quote, in every case of which we are aware, these claims either have been unsubstantiated or are technically incoherent. Now, in another world, Mr. Krebs' achievement as a member of the Trump administration on behalf of the American people, supervising this all as a clean and fair election happened, that would be considered a success. But instead, President Trump sees it as a personal insult. A source close to Krebs tells me that he knew he might get in trouble by telling the truth about this election. And the Trump campaign is still continuing its long shot, if not ludicrous, legal challenges to overturn the results of the presidential election. Today, they requested a recount in two Wisconsin counties, as CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports. Do you think we'll hear from the president soon? Uh, perhaps. That's up to President Trump. President Donald Trump had no public events on his schedule again today and hasn't taken questions from reporters in two weeks as officials describe a bunker-like mentality inside the White House despite this comment last month. But I can't, I can't put myself into a basement of the White House. I don't have that luxury. No, no, I'm the president of the United States. Trump hasn't attended a coronavirus task force meeting in five months, but his press secretary insists he's still governing behind the scenes. Well, the president's hard at work. Um, he's hard at work on COVID, among other issues. Kaylee McEnany also hasn't taken questions from the press in weeks and walked by reporters three times today with no answers. You can't take questions, Kaylee? Uh, probably later on. 
Behind closed doors, Trump is continuing to falsely claim the election was stolen from him and software glitches changed millions of votes. None of that is true, but last night he fired the country's top election cybersecurity official who corrected his false claims. Chris Krebs found out he was being fired from Twitter after Trump claimed without evidence that Krebs's recent statement declaring this the most secure election in U.S. history was, quote, highly inaccurate. Senate Republicans have fallen in line with Trump's baseless claims and barely pushed back on his retaliation against an aide for telling the truth. We're at a period in time the president has a decision who he wants to have an office and who, who he doesn't have an office. In court, wow, Trump's legal arguments are floundering. It's a fraud, an absolute fraud. I mean, That's not what Rudy Giuliani said in a Pennsylvania court yesterday when he told a judge, quote, know your honor, we are not alleging fraud just a fraudulent process. Trump's former chief of staff, Thanks Mick Mulvaney, questioned having Giuliani represent the president. And this is a specialty. Um, this is not a television program. This is the real thing. The Trump campaign will now request a partial recount in two mostly Democratic Wisconsin counties for a price of approximately $3 million. That comes one day after Trump openly cheered a short-lived effort by Michigan Republicans to deny the certification of election results in the county that includes Detroit, which he called having courage. The result was eventually certified following major backlash from voters. Now, Jake, Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey said he does not think the Trump campaign has a strong case in his home state. But as this is going on and the president is continuing to focus on it, you're seeing other officials start to move on to what's ahead, including Vice President Pence, who is going to Georgia on Friday to campaign for those two Republicans in that Georgia runoff that's going to determine which party controls the Senate. And of course, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, was asked on Capitol Hill today if the president himself plans to go there and campaign. Jake, he said he would have to see if it was fit, would fit in the schedule next to the president's official business that he says he's conducting. Yeah, and we should note it's not just that there isn't a strong case in Pennsylvania. There isn't a strong case in Wisconsin. There isn't a strong case in Michigan. There isn't a strong case in Georgia. Uh, in fact, I think the number of lawsuits that the Trump team and their allies have lost at this point is 24 it's all just a delay of the inevitable. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, joining me now is Democratic Senator Mark Warner of the Commonwealth of Virginia. He's the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator, I, I want to start with the, the firing of Chris Krebs, who was the head of election cybersecurity at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I know that you, you must have worked with him, being the, the vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Well, first of all, Jake, um, let's flash back to about 45 days ago when 30 days before the election, we lived in great concern of foreign intervention. We lived in great concern and from, from Chris, from the intel community, from the law enforcement community, people potentially showing up with long guns on elections. We lived in concern of, of violence right before, right after the election. And instead, the American people really responded. We had a record turnout, record turnout for Joe Biden, record turnout for, for Donald Trump. Uh, Foreign intervention, for the most part, did not take place. Uh, literally hundreds of thousands of election officials carried out their job. I mean, this should be a moment in the aftermath where we're celebrating the strength of our democracy. And in many ways, Chris Krebs was one of the major guys to make that happen. And he was uniformly well regarded, at least from the Intelligence Committee standpoint, bipartisan for keeping our elections safe and secure. And I think he 
did what he was paid to do. And he did it very well. And to be treated this way uh, for doing his job and not falling in line as a, a political henchman, um, to have lost his job is one more one more indication is, as you go through the litany of your beginning of your program, lie after lie after lie coming out of this White House. Uh, at, at some point, we got to, you know, I hope my Republican colleagues and some of them privately, but more of them publicly need to reach a breaking point and say this is undermining the whole sense of rule of law. And Chris Krebs did a great job. Our elections were the most secure in our history. The American people did a great job. Our election officials did a great job. Yeah. Uh, the only person that's not doing a great job is Donald Trump. Yeah, I think it's the, the best turnout among the American electorate in, in a century or something like that. Um, so, Senator, while some Republicans came out against Krebs firing, uh, there are others, like uh, Senate Judiciary uh, Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, who say it's President Trump's right to fire Krebs. We heard the same from Senator Ted Cruz. Obviously, everyone in the administration serves at the president per, president's prerogative, but... Th- I don't know if that's the point, though. What's your response to that argument? Well, my response is, if we're seeing this president, who's now a lame duck, try to dismantle our nation's security, whether it be firing the defense secretary, whether it be firing Chris Krebs, who kept our elections safe, there's lots of speculation about the CIA director and FBI director. How many, how many actions will this president take that will undermine our country's security before people, even if my Senate colleagues won't stand up, when good people of goodwill of both political parties across the country. I do not believe what Donald Trump is doing is a reflection of, of what the Republican Party is. I do believe there are Republican Party enablers, but I think there's lots of local and statewide elected Republicans who are aghast at this as well. I think the Secretary of State in Georgia has stood up and done his job and got gotten abuse for it as well. Mm-hmm. And I just... You know, I worry going into this period with Congress leaving town, whether other senior uh, security officials' careers are at stake as well. One thing that hasn't gotten much attention, but I see this from the intelligence standpoint, when the president arbitrarily decided to cut back on the troop number of troops in Afghanistan right. without warning to our Afghan partners, without warning to the 30 countries who are, have been our partners in Afghanistan, regardless of what you feel about that war, um, he is, again, undermining the security of our country. So C- uh, and, CNN is learning that some uh, s- staffers at the Department of Health and Human Services have been told uh, that if anybody from the Biden-Harris transition team reaches out to them, they shouldn't talk to them and they should, they should report them uh, to uh, senior management. I mean, I, I wonder what you think about this, given the fact that the pandemic is entering an incredibly dangerous stage right now and the, Trump- I mean, um, the Biden-Harris team needs to start transitioning and taking over. Well, I think it's remarkable, and I give you know, credit to President-elect Biden for holding his temper, keeping, you know, keeping the emotions down. But he, you know, factually what he said, I believe, yesterday is the facts. By delaying this information, more people will get sick, more people will die. Um, the fact that the president-elect's not getting the presidential um, daily intelligence briefs is making our country less secure. And, um, you know, we should not be going into the Thanksgiving holiday without Biden's team getting not only the coronavirus briefs, but also the daily intelligence briefs. The transition teams ought to be able to go to the agencies and um, start making the 
peaceful transition of power. So you and, you, you, you know, like to work in a bipartisan way. You, 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 you like to work in a bipartisan way. Uh, the, the new uh, chair, I guess, uh, I don't know if he's acting chair or, or he's taken over officially, but Marco Rubio, senator from Florida. Uh, I mean, what it, n- very few Republicans in the Senate have even acknowledged that Joe Biden is president-elect. Uh, what do Republicans say to you privately when you say the transition process needs to begin at the very least for the health and well-being of the American people, which is more important than President Trump's brittle spirit. What do they say to you? Well, the notion of the of the first week after the election took a couple of days to call, but after that first few days when people said, well, give Trump a few days and let his ego work through this. Well, you know, I think there was a lot of folks who didn't like that, but said if it, for the greater sense of transition and security of our country and not trying to um, have more disruption. It, folks kind of uh, gave that time period. But we're now 15 days after the election, and I am, I am extraordinarily discouraged by how few of my Republican colleagues who are willing to call out this uh, totally inappropriate behavior. And just again, this is not about Democrats Republicans. This is about the security of our people in terms of coronavirus, and it's about the security of our country. In many ways, what Vladimir Putin most wanted was chaos in our nation. One of the reasons why maybe Russia didn't try to disinform as much or misinformation as much uh, at this cycle as they did in 2016 was because the source of the greatest source of misinformation and disinformation about our elections didn't have to originate in Moscow. It originates at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah. Democratic Senator Mark Warner, Virginia, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Remember when President Trump said that Joe Biden was hiding in his basement? Well, President-elect Biden is out again today, focusing on this horrifically snowballing pandemic, with President Trump the one out of sight. And breaking today the biggest school system in the country, changing course as the pandemic continues to explode across the U.S. Stay with us. Today, President-elect Joe Biden is pushing ahead with plans for his administration, meeting with frontline healthcare workers to discuss the coronavirus response and naming a new team to try to help get his nominees through the Senate confirmation process. But as much as Biden's team has tried to ignore the nonstop lies and conspiracy theories coming from President Trump and his allies, the Biden team does find itself forced to respond to Trump's actions, as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports. President-elect Joe Biden praising medical workers today on the front lines of the coronavirus fight. It's not enough to praise you. We have to protect you. We have to pay you. He's shining a light on their heroism and calling out President Trump's obstructionism as his administration still refuses to cooperate with Biden's transition team, especially when it comes to COVID. We've been unable to get access to the kinds of things we need to know about the depth of the stockpiles, we know there's not much at all. And uh, there's a whole lot of things that are just we just don't have available to us, which unless it's made available soon, we're going to be behind by weeks or months. Yet staffers inside the Department of Health and Human Services were instructed to not communicate with any Biden advisors, CNN has learned, and asked to report any outreach to top agency officials. We've made it very clear that uh, when GSA makes a determination, uh, we will ensure complete uh, cooperative professional transitions uh, and planning. As the U.S. reported the deadliest day of the pandemic in six months, a Minnesota nurse begged Biden for more help. 
I've taken care of co-workers as they fight for their lives on a ventilator and knowing that they got sick because of the hospital or their government hasn't protected them. Members of Biden's COVID-19 advisory board are asking for access to the government plan to distribute the vaccine. We know that vaccines don't deliver themselves. It takes a team of people. Dr. Rick Bright, a vaccine scientist and whistleblower who accused the Trump White House of interfering in efforts to fight the virus, said Biden's team was skeptical that any credible plans exist inside the Trump administration. We will be ready on day one. All this as Biden's advisors are blasting Trump's attempt to undermine democracy by firing Chris Krebs, who is in charge of election cybersecurity, for telling the truth about the election. It's dangerous. Uh, the entire transition, Trump's whole behavior right now, should frighten the American public. So even as Mr. Biden is seeing this reluctance from Republicans in Washington, Jake, I am told he is continuing the process of surging for members of his cabinet. He's prioritizing the Department of Health and Human Services, I'm told. And two of the leading contenders for that, we are learning, are two Democratic governors. That's the governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, and the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Now, they were on the long list for uh, running mates potentially earlier this summer, but now I'm told they are being considered as well for HHS, as well as Dr. Vivek Murthy, a former Surgeon General. So we do expect cabinet appointments to be made or announcements to be made after Thanksgiving. And those at least are two of the leading contenders at this point before background checks. Jake. All right, Jeff Zeleny in Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks so much. Let's discuss with my panel. Tulu, let me start with you. The Biden team trying to go about business as usual. But at some point, uh, barring President Trump getting a personality transplant, uh, this is going to come to a head. Uh, the president is refusing to concede. He's refusing to hand, allow the transition process to begin. Um, how is the Biden team going to handle it if, if you know, if... if Worse comes to worse. Yeah, Dick, you do see them starting to turn up the pressure, starting to say that this could be a crisis. Vice President, former Vice President, President-elect Joe Biden said just a couple of days ago that people could die if this uh, transition does not go smoothly, if he does not get access to the medical experts, to the scientists, part of the Trump administration. So they are starting to turn up the pressure. It's not clear that any of that is working in terms of swaying uh, the Trump himself or the people in his closest his closest advisors. But you are starting to see at least some Republicans start to speak out, start to say that Biden should get access to classified briefings, access to people who have the ability to tell him what's happening with the vaccine. Um, it's happening very slowly. Republicans in general still are living in fear of, of the president. But I do think that over time, you are starting to see some more Republicans break out. And I think that's the strategy of the Biden camp. We'll see. We'll have to see if it works. But right now, they don't have the ability to do anything until January 20th, other than increase the public pressure on the Trump administration and try to get more Republicans on board to try to turn the president and change his mind and get him to stop being so obstinate and, and get him to actually provide the information that could save lives to the incoming administration. Laura, uh, as President Trump continues to deny reality, deny the election results, falsely claim he actually won. He has simultaneously canceled his plans to spend Thanksgiving at Mar-a-Lago. He's going to stay at the White House. Uh, here's Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany's explanation for that. President's hard at work. Um, he's hard at work on COVID, among other issues, uh, drawing down our number of troops in Afghanistan and Iraq, bringing our men and women home. Um, he's hard at work, um, and so he's staying here at the White House, and it will be a lovely Thanksgiving for him and the First Lady um, here in the White House. Now, the outgoing president has not held any public events, 
in 11 days. He has not announced any steps to improve the administration's response to this surge of coronavirus. He has gone golfing four times in the last two weeks. Other than tweeting nonsense, what is he doing? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine, Jake, which is that what we do know he's doing is golfing. Uh, Again, as cases surge and, and health officials are constantly warning about the months to come for the country due to coronavirus cases. Uh, The president is not talking about coronavirus. He isn't trying to improve uh, public um, willingness to potentially take a coming vaccine. There's none of that. What, What he's doing is laser focused on saying that he won the election, which is false, and and also uh, ousting uh, top security officials that he considers not loyal to him. So uh, I don't know what the president is doing uh, other than continuing to further uh, false claims about voter fraud and, as you said, deny reality about the outcome of this election. Yeah, and I would ask Kayleigh McEnany this question, except she's not doing any briefings. She's only talking on the president's favorite channel. Uh, Tulu, let's talk about uh, President Trump's firing of cybersecurity official Chris Krebs, which Laura just alluded to. Besides getting rid of someone who disagrees with him, somebody who stands up for the truth, what does President Trump actually gain from firing a well, a well-respected professional like Chris Krebs? Well, uh, not much in terms of good governance. The president is not really focused on on good governance at this point. He has two months left in office, and he's trying to maintain loyalty among the thousands of employees, the thousands of people who work within the White House and th- throughout the administration. Right now, they are sort of in a bind trying to figure out whether they should break ranks, accept the results of the election publicly, say that the Biden administration is going to be taking over on January 20th and say that the election was free and fair. Now that you have a scapegoat in in Chris Krebs, who did say that the election was the most secure in the, you know, recent history of the country, then, you know, when he gets fired, it's sort of the idea is to send a chilling effect to other administration officials, other political appointees, people who may know better, but may be afraid to speak out because they don't want to be fired by tweet. So it's sort of the classic strategy that we've seen from the president, fire people by tweet when they break ranks, really try to instill loyalty by fear uh, and not through sort of allegiance to what he's doing. There's not a lot of support for his position, even within the Republican Party. So it's pretty clear that he's just trying to create a, a, a sense of fear among different administration officials to keep them from speaking out, as Chris Krebs did. I, I saw somebody on Twitter say that Chris Krebs is the only person to leave the Trump administration with a better reputation uh, than he had when he went in. Uh, Laura, you have, uh, there are Republicans such as Senators Ben Sass or Rob Portman defending Chris Krebs, defending the work he did, but then you have uh, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz saying that President Trump has every right uh, to, you know, fire, fire Krebs if he wants. Uh, do you see any point at which the majority of Republican lawmakers would actually come out and just note that this is all insane? President Trump lost its time to get over it and and prepare for the next administration because what he's doing right now is not only sowing discord, it's it's actually potentially harming the American people in terms of the transition and Biden's ability to do the job. If passed as prologue, Jake, I, I don't expect a, a big amount of Republicans or the majority of Republicans to to finally say, look, this is insane and Biden won the election and Trump should not be ousting 
uh, top security officials, uh, because, yes, they may quietly say that they're concerned that Trump could extend this to CIA Director Haspel or to Director Ray to Haspel. But the, the fact is, is that they are not out there in mass very loudly denouncing the president's actions. And I'm not holding my breath. Uh, and I don't think many reporters are awaiting for them to do so. Just so cowardly. So cowardly, and the American people are the ones who suffer. Tulu, Laura, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Breaking news out of New York City. All schools are closing as the coronavirus gets even worse there. But city leaders did not shut down the gyms and restaurants? Find out why next. Breaking news in our health leads. Schools in New York City, the largest school district in the entire United States, are closing until further notice as the city's coronavirus positivity rate rises. It's a reality seen across the United States, where yesterday 1,707, I'm sorry, 1,707 Americans reported to have died of the virus. 1,707. That's the highest number of COVID-related deaths we've seen in six months. And as CNN's Nick Watt reports, the fact that there's no coherent national response is certainly not helping. A little pneumonia, but I want to make sure you don't have a blood clot in your lung. More than 76,000 Americans now hospitalized with COVID-19. That's an all-time high. In some places, we're already out of beds and room to put even new beds. So Montana's mask mandate goes statewide Friday. New York City schools will close again tomorrow. Positivity rates in the city are now too high. In Michigan, a three-week pause kicks in today. No more indoor dining, bars, movie theaters. The inherently dangerous situations are when you are inside with people from a different household or many different households for a prolonged period of time with masks off. In South Dakota, the governor still won't mandate masks. People that want to wear masks should wear masks, and people who don't shouldn't be shamed because they choose not to. In Oregon, there can be no more than six at a Thanksgiving table this year. It's Orwellian in a place like Oregon to say, if you gather uh, in numbers more than six, we might come to your house and arrest you and you get 30 days of jail time. Orwellian or just life-saving? We're all in this together as a nation. If one element of the country or multiple elements of the country don't cooperate with an infectious disease, we are going to continue to be in trouble. 1,707 lives reported lost Tuesday, COVID's deadliest day in America for six months. The average daily death toll is now rising in 33 states. I'm the most concerned I've been since this pandemic started. States across the country are having the most rapid rise they've seen since the start of this. Pfizer now says its vaccine is 95% effective and they'll file for FDA authorization within days. Moderna won't be far behind. By the end of December, we expect to have about 40 million doses of these two vaccines available for distribution, pending FDA authorization. Enough to vaccinate about 20 million of our most vulnerable Americans. But likely early summer before it's widespread. There is light at the end of the tunnel. However, that tunnel is long. And some places panic buying is now back. Also, long lines at food banks and COVID-19 testing sites. The pain of this fall now resembles the spring. And it's getting worse. 
Now, those schools that were open in New York City, that was a real symbol of hope and progress. You know, kids inside classrooms in a city that was once the epicenter of the entire world, but they hit that 3% positivity, which they'd agreed would trigger the closing of those schools. But the situation you got now is that kids in New York aren't allowed to go into a classroom, but adults are allowed to go out to grab a bite to eat. It's complicated. Jake? Yeah, it's confusing, to say the least. Uh, Nick Watt, thanks so much. Let's yeah. bring in CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Um, Sanjay, I, I want to start with playing a tense, tense moment today with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. He was asked about New York City closing its public schools after the city's COVID testing positive, positivity rate reached 3%. And there was confusion, parents not understanding what was going on. Obviously, restaurants and bars are still allowed to be open. Uh, watch. That's the law, an orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. Well, then you're confused. I'm confused. And then I I'll tell you what, Jimmy. Parents are still confused as well. The schools no, in New they're York not confused. Tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think but parents read the are law. very confused as well. Read the law, and you won't be confused. Wow, that's something else. Um, but what is confusing for a lot of people, Sanjay, is New York City closing the public schools for this 3% positivity rate, but not closing bars, gyms, restaurants. Does that make any sense to you? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like they created these guidelines, maybe didn't sort of play it all the way through, and now they end up in this situation where schools, you know, I, I can understand the idea of, of sort of trying to figure out, are the numbers going in the wrong direction? Do we need to put the brakes on things quickly? I mean, that makes sense. We've been talking about that sort of strategy since March. But the idea that it would affect schools where, according to their surveillance testing, have a really low positivity rate, below point, below 0.2%, Whereas the city, you know, is obviously around 3% and then close down the schools. It, it doesn't make sense. Where I think is going to happen, Jake, is that you're going to hear the same about restaurants and, and other types of establishments like that for a while, too. So that's probably where they're headed. I think they just sort of got it out of sequence a bit. Uh, the U.S. is nearing a quarter million COVID-related deaths. Um, we lost 1,700 people to coronavirus just yesterday. 1,700. That's the highest daily total of deaths due to COVID since May. More than 76,000 people are in American hospitals with COVID. That's a new record. Sanjay, is there anything at this point that can stop these kinds of alarming trends? Yeah, I, absolutely, Jake. There are things because we've been in situations in this country, not obviously at this level, but been in local situations, communities where they had significant exponential growth. They got into red line situations and they basically had to turn it around, even up in the Northeast bit where, where we were just uh, talking about. So um, w w there's basic things. You know, we talk about a mask mandate. We talk about no public gatherings, large public gatherings and certain uh, establishments like restaurants and bars indoors. Uh, you know, without masks on, those probably have, would have to be closed or at least limited for a period of time. That works, Jake. We've seen that work in other places. So uh, with these five locations, restaurants, gyms, cafes, hotels, and religious gatherings, we know about 80% of the viral spread is happening in this country. What the, what the people who were studying this also learned is that if you just limit capacity to 20% in those places, you could actually get nearly all the benefit of, of curtailing the viral spread. So there are things we can do. We're, we're still not doing it, though, Jake, in, yeah. in too many places. And we should note that those restaurants, bars, gyms, et cetera, cafes, 
they need help from the federal government. They need money. They need yeah. stimulus. They need relief that they're not getting from the Congress. Um, Sanjay, we've been talking a lot about the examples being set by leaders, uh, starting at the top with outgoing President Trump, but governors and mayors also. California Governor Gavin Newsom is now apologizing. He and his wife went to a restaurant for a dinner earlier this month. They sat closely with about a dozen other guests. I'm told it's kind of like a hybrid indoor-outdoor restaurant, but it's still not the example uh, that he wants to set, one would think. And, And Governor Newsom said he made a big mistake, but it's not leading by example, and it undermines the message. I mean, if you're in California and you're you can't go out, and then you see your governor is, what are you supposed to think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he really wishes he could walk that back. I mean, he he says he showed up at the thing. I think he thought it was going to be a different type of event. This is just what I read. I, I haven't spoken to him, and he should have just left at that point when he realized it wasn't going to be an event that actually followed public health guidelines. Jake, I've been in that situation. I, you know, I've been invited to something, you know, told that it's going to be a physically distanced outdoor sort of thing. I show up there. It's not. It just isn't. You know, people say they're going to do it, then they don't abide by it, and I leave, you know, in those situations. But it's tough, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that was the wrong thing for him to do, and it sets a really poor example because it, it normalizes or, con, or condones it for people. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We have breaking news on the Georgia recount. The results are just hours away. The state official in charge of that recount joins me next. We have some breaking news for you now in our 2020 lead. Georgia election officials just announced that they will release the election audit results around noon tomorrow after recounting all 5 million plus ballots in the state. Let's get right to Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Let's start with this audit. Can you tell us right now if you have seen any evidence of widespread or significant fraud, as the president keeps claiming, and whether or not, in your view, presidents like Joe Biden will end up winning your state's electoral votes. Good evening, uh, Jake. No, we have not seen any widespread voter fraud. Uh, the president has picked up uh, some votes in a few of the counties that made some uh, clerical errors. That wasn't the machines. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, he started with 14,000. He's about 12,000 now. But we're finishing up. Uh, we're waiting for a few more counties to get back to us, some of the large counties. But I don't believe at the end of the day it'll change the total results. So you still think that Joe Biden, President-elect Biden, will be the winner of Georgia. Yes, I believe that's the way it'll turn out. Now, as you mentioned, officials did did find two batches of early in-person votes that were not originally included in the initial results for the presidential election. Uh, a total of more than 5,000 ballots between Floyd and Fayette County, uh, Fayette County. How did this happen? Have you figured out whether or not there was malfeasance or an accident, whether these individuals are, are aligned with a political party? I think those, are, are those Republican counties? Those, Tell us more. Those, those are Republican counties. Uh, in, in the case of Floyd County, the county election director had stepped out, uh, I believe it was due to health issues, uh, let a, a junior person that didn't have the skill set, the experience to do something. And what happened is they didn't update uh, you know, the memory card, and so it just didn't get counted. And so when we counted all the ballots, we had more ballots than what was reported on election night. So we quickly found out what the issue was, and it was corrected. So that was a, really a clerical error, nothing you know, uh, untoward, nothing uh, that anyone planned. It was just incompetence. Uh, Fayette County, uh, similar but different, but it goes back to the election official making a mistake. But that's why we're going through the audit. We did a 100% risk limiting audit. We're counting every single ballot and not just running it through the, the scanner again. We're doing a hand count 
because some people were questioning the accuracy of our election machines. It was Dominion voting systems. And what we're seeing in over 50 counties already, there was not one single vote difference. In other 30 counties, it was just one vote plus or minus. In the other uh, 25 counties, it was plus or minus less than 10 vote difference. So it's very, very close. And then we actually have done an audit of the actual machines in six different counties, randomized audit uh, by an outside uh, forensic investigator, pro BNB, to substantiate that these machines are accurately counting everything. Um, w- one of the other things that we keep hearing uh, from the president, outgoing president Trump, uh, is this thing about Dominion software. Uh, obviously, there's no evidence to it. It's really crazy. Just it, it's frankly, it's just crazy stuff, tinfoil hat stuff. But the idea is that because of the software, somebody is able to go in and change the results. If somebody even wanted to do that, could they do that? I mean, isn't there just a huge paper trail and dozens, if not hundreds and thousands of hundreds or thousands of of people watching? Well, to your point, we have a verifiable paper ballot. The first thing I did when I became Secretary of State was work with the General Assembly to pass House Bill 3, uh, 316, which allowed us to get new machines. These machines have a verifiable paper ballot trail. You look at your choices. Did you want President Trump, Vice President Biden, or Joe Jorgensen for your selection? And then you put it on the scanner, and that's when it was scanned, and that's where the tabulation happened. So nothing is the ballot marking device is just marking your ballot, so there's no question about what your choices were. And so we did, though, an audit of the machines to make sure they weren't hacked. But when you count the paper ballots, and then take it back to what was reported in the machines, and they line up. It's pretty clear and conclusive proof that the votes were accurately counted. Republican Senator uh, Kelly Leffler, who's up for uh, re-election in a runoff in January, once again today called on you to resign. Um, take a listen. And are you standing by your call for the Georgia Secretary of State to resign? Yes, I am, because we have to hold our top election official accountable. Thousands of votes were not counted in Georgia just on November 3rd after a pretty disastrous primary in June. So, look, we have to make sure that Georgians trust this system because we need every Georgian to vote. I don't think you need to respond to her crazy charges, but I just wonder what it feels like as a Republican official. And you're not the only one. You have Chris Krebs, who was just fired by Trump. Uh, you have the Philadelphia Commissioner uh, Al Schmidt, uh, a Republican official who has been a loyal Republican and worked his hardest to do the best job possible. What is it like to be attacked by Republicans, not even for something you did, but for just deranged conspiracy theories? I've been a lifelong Republican. I'm a conservative Christian Republican. And you look at my voting record, I've been endorsed by pro-life groups, you know, pro-business groups, the National Federation of Independent Businesses. I'm a business owner. And so when people say that uh, I'm not Republican, it's crazy talk. And at the end of the day, uh, when people want to create dissension among the Republican Party and you're on a runoff race, it's not helpful to the person, the candidate. And so I'm not going to comment further. But I know at the end of the day, election matters. It matters in this office. I'm going to make sure we count every legal lawful vote, and we're not going to count any illegal votes. And everything I've done in this office, we outlawed ballot harvesting. We understand it's a bad deal to do ballot harvesting. We outlawed it. That was me. That was my team. We now have an online absentee ballot portal, which has photo ID. And that was our team that stood that up in less than two months when the, we had this huge, huge expansion of absentee ballots. So uh, my record will stand on itself. Uh, we've done a great job. Uh, we've 
defeated the issue of having long lines in Georgia. Election day went, went with a two-minute average wait time. Uh, the race shift is a lot closer than we thought. But that goes back to the candidate for president told people not to vote absentee. So 24,000 Republicans that actually voted absentee in the June primary did not come out in the fall and vote. They did not vote absentee, nor did they vote in early voting or the day of election. 24,000. Yeah. And that's the winning margin right there. That's the margin right there. Uh, you've also discussed the pressure uh, you felt you faced from Senator Lindsey Graham, the, the senator, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. You say that uh, he indirectly, indirectly asked you to to try to throw away legally cast votes. Now, Senator Graham denies his claims. He calls it ridiculous. Is it possible you interpreted him incorrectly? Well, uh, I had two other staff members on it, and one of them's already talked to the press and pretty much says the same thing I've said. So we saw it one way, he sees it another, but we're moving on. We have an audit, and we have a race that we have to certify. All right, Secretary Raffensperger, thank you so much for what you do. I'm sorry you're going through this. It's really quite disgusting. Good evening, Jake. Take care. All right. Bottles, rock, and water cannons clashes over stricter coronavirus rules as death surge overseas as well. In our world lead today, the World Health Organization says cases are down in Europe for the first time in months, but deaths are ticking up there. In Berlin, police used water cannons on protesters who were frustrated with coronavirus restrictions. After police say protesters threw bottles, stones, and firecrackers at them. About 100 protesters were arrested. In southern Australia, a six-day shutdown begins tomorrow as health officials point to a pizza joint and a hotel as hotspots there after 22 people got infected. Almost a quarter of a million Americans have died from coronavirus just here in the U.S. We would like to take a moment right now at the end of the show just to remember one of them. Judy Ann Taylor. She was 68. She was a gospel singer, a great-grandmother, and a mentor. In the 80s and 90s, Taylor recorded with gospel stars like Edwin Hawkins. She was also the soprano lead for many Philadelphia gospel groups. May her memory, and that of all those we have lost in this horrific pandemic, be a blessing. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at The Lead, CNN. Our coverage continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.